Sometimes I Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. All right, folks. Good afternoon. <laughs> Happy Good Tuesday, and welcome back. And I guess we are into the new Roman calendar year anyway of 2024, so this will be the first show for that one. And um, not that um, most of us pay a whole lot of attention to the years. They're kind of an arbitrary uh, demarcation, and uh, uh, at least they're, they're good for keeping track of certain things. But beyond that, the um, the topic for the week is Isaiah, the prophet. We're into about chapter 15. We just barely touched on it last week. And I read the first few verses, but I think what we'll do instead of uh, of recapping those is, well, or, or reading them again, rather, is just kind of a, a brief recap. And essentially it is a um, it's a series of judgments. The continuing theme has to do with Moab. And um, basically what we're going to see is that the creator is not happy with Moab. And uh, there are a lot of reasons for it. We've talked about some of them. And um, he's going to outline some of the things that are going to happen as a result. So um, let me just say, uh, let me say good afternoon this time to uh, MP first. How are you doing, Mark? And then we'll turn it over to Ray. I'm doing well, uh, Mark and Ray. Um, so uh, basically, uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> Let's go ahead and go. I would just add uh, a... a a happy and prosperous New Year to all uh, here, even though uh, it's the secular year and all that. Still, we we have to live in that as well. So I wish everybody a, a a happy a happy time and may the Lord bless you all this 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 secular year. Amen. Let us go. Yeah. Um... You got anybody want to comment, MP? I know you said you didn't finish commenting on those first few verses, so uh, why don't you take us wherever you'd like in the first uh, four or five verses, and then we'll uh, then we'll read on, and uh, we'll let Ray, of course, weigh in as well. Oh boy, I, I might uh, capitalize on this entire half hour if I do that. <laughs> well, just start out, and when we get bored, we'll stop you. How about that? All right, if you, yeah. If you get bored, you can stop me. Okay. So, uh, you know, I like uh, I like Azamra. It's a uh, it's a Orthodox Jewish comment on on uh, on online. They're uh, they're very very good. Uh, I trust them almost as much as I trust you two guys. So anyway, Azamra opens chapters fifteen and sixteen with this on verse one of verse fifteen. The the burden of Moab is this chapter and the next. Okay, in this chapter and the next, Yeshayahu continues his series of prophecies about the fate of the main biblical nations with a prophecy over the coming exile of the Moabi, the Moabites, in other words, that is almost a lament. Uh, Treasury of Scripture Knowledge has this in the idea of burden. They say this and the following chapter form one entire prophecy. 
which was most probably delivered or, uh, soon after the foregoing, that is Isaiah 14, 28 to 32, in the first year of Hezekiahu, and uh, accomplished in his fourth year when Shalmaneser invaded Israel. Now, the word KJV translates as burden is from the Hebrew 4853 Masa, uh, Mem Sin uh, Aleph, which is a variation of H5375, Nasa, which begins with a Nun, uh, to prove or to challenge, which tells me that this was not an easy thing for Yeshiahu to grasp or understand. So it will likely be harder for us to fully grasp than it was for him. One of the alternate readings, according to EDBH, Etymological Dictionary of Biblical Hebrew, is to test or prove, which may have been what Yah did to test and probably prove to Yeshiyahu just how much Yah trusted him. There are two uses of the word ki, that's uh, kuf, uh, kaf rather, and, and yud in this verse, uh, both translated because. Because it is a word that designates causation. In the same night, two cities of Moab were laid waste. Okay, that is, uh, again, laid waste is from the word shadad, which means to uh, burly, impregnable, or to be utterly destroyed. The little left, and little left of any passerby to notice, which, uh, much less to investigate. So in one night, Yah saw to it that two almost unbeatable cities were laid waste without any evidence of who dropped by to do the deed. Gee, I wonder who could have done that. In my, in my opinion, it could be no one, none other than Yah. Uh, verses 1 to 4 depict the uh, destruction of the cities of Moab when Sennacherib would take their inhabitants into exile and the mourning that would ensue. You'll uh, likely remember R of Moab from Deuteronomy 2, 9, and 18, where it, we get this. And Yah said unto me, Distress not the Moabite, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give you their land as a possession, because I have given R to Lot's children as a possession. Thou art to pass over through R the coast of Moab this day. Now, in Deuteronomy, as Israel was entering their great uh, land grant, which at that time included nothing to the east of the Yarden, Yah forbade them from going uh, doing any pillage or plunder because Israel's inheritance was on the west bank of the Yarden, while Moab's was on the east bank and into the highlands uh, toward the east, perhaps as far as Babylon's western sphere of influence. In the days of the fall of of the house of Israel, the ones uh, which we are exploring today, not a whole lot is going to go Israel's way. They are going soon into exile. Azamra has this comment, the territories of the Moabite, that's the Moabites, uh, lying largely on a plateau 4,300 feet above the level of the Dead Sea, which sits at one, 1,365 feet below sea level, that's where the surface of the Dead Sea is at, <laughs> Okay, consisted of steep but fertile hills that provided excellent pasture for their many sheep and cattle as well as abundant grain and wine. Thus, although this region of the south of the modern kingdom of Yarden is not particularly famous or noteworthy today, 
In ancient times, it was the center of a thriving kingdom with its own idolatrous religion and culture and a mighty army. Verse 2 com completes the sentence started in verse 1. As it says in verse 1, Because Ar and Ker are laid waste, he, that is Moab, is gone up to Bayit and Debo. Bayit sounds suspiciously like Bayit, the Hebrew word for uh, a house, a protecting house. Now, Bayit literally means to protect or contain, which a house certainly does, if the residents will defend it. In this sense, even a city or a nation-state can be loosely termed a house. Beit Yisrael definitely, defined loosely, includes all of Yah's redeemed saints, regardless their denominational affiliation. Even members of what some Christians would call cults, who have truly surrendered their bodies and souls to Yah, are saints of the Most High. Even Markal, even, even me. Well, well, maybe. Anyway, <clears throat> Bayit is a daughter uh, of the Hebrew 1004, which Strong's Hebrew numbering system says derives from H1129, Bana, which means to build, literally or figuratively. Building, vice demolishing, is the point here. We, the hosts of TTRT on HNR, are attempting to provide all the listeners with a firm foundation on which to build their own homes within the house of Yah. Remember, John 14, 1-3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in Elohim. Believe also in me. In Avinu's house are many mansions. If not, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. Now that sounds like a pretty good deal, because Mashiach is the linchpin that holds on to us keeps us attached to the locomotive, that is Yeshua, who is bringing us all along to be his house, his bait, which, if you are truly his, you are. That's what I have for verses 1 and 2. Okay. Ray, you want to add anything here? Or should we? I would just add just maybe a couple of general thoughts. Uh and I uh, appreciate the level of detail. That's that's very very interesting. Um, just reminding uh, our, our listeners that as as we as we began this thing back with the uh, the the oracle or the masa uh, to Babylon and, and all of that 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 the, the the Babylonian oracle revealed that um, uh, even that that even within world history, even the most threatening and climatic events that are described there are organized in such a way that the people of God are cared for. So even with everything that, that is that is prophesied to happen to Babylon, God's God says He will He will care for His people. When the He uh uh, uh Yeshua then uh verbalizes the oracle to Philistia he also takes that a step further, I think, and and can and he seems to be insisting at that point in time. Yes, not only will he care for you, but all these promises that he has made uh, to the house of David, they will also be kept. In, in the end, those promises will be kept. 
I will take care of the people, and I will take care of the, the promises to the line of David as well. And as we get to Moab, it, it seems to me that, that he is, he's, he's not only, uh, uh, guaranteeing these two things as well, but, but, uh, as, as far as the Davidic promises are concerned, uh, that, that the, that, uh, the, the hope is expressed in the Davidic promises that, 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 uh, that they're not going to be exclusive, uh, uh, to, to the, uh, to Judah as well. That, that those promises are, are more, uh, embracing. Uh, and, uh, and in fact that, uh, there, there's a fulfillment for David and Zion, uh, that all who will take refuge there will be, will be saved. So as we, as we go through each one of these, uh, uh, oracles or masas or prophecies, whatever you want to call them, I think we see it's, it's kind of like a layer cake. There's the foundational layer. Then we get another layer. Then we get another layer. Then we get another layer. And I think there are, there are little gems to find in each one of these things that are, uh, I mean, and they're all interesting. They all have historical points and this and that and the other thing. But there's there's kind of a greater context to, uh, at least for me, to try to hope to gain some understanding from. So that would be my comment as we as we plunge on into Moab. Okay. Well, you know, and I appreciate your emphasis on this one aspect, especially Ray. And it's, it's the one that I think shows through all of this. And it's so important that even though he is basically saying, look, you, uh, you folks in general have made your bed. You're going to lie in it. You have chosen rebellion. Lots of nasty stuff is going to happen just like I promised. And yet through all of this, somehow or other, uh, rest assured that my word remains true. I'm going to do what I said I would do. And that includes to protect the people that I have promised that if they would be obedient, I would protect them. So as we go through what sounds like some pretty nasty stuff, yeah. I think that's important for all of us to uh, to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I kind of get this feeling that that the heart of God is 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 as He is smiting, He is weeping. You know, this this isn't this isn't pleasant duty for Him. Uh, you know, He. Uh, so yeah, I, I I'm with you. I'm with you on that, Mark. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you've, everybody's probably heard a father say, it hurts me more than it does you. And there's actually truth in that, even though at the oh, time, yeah. the kid <laughs> might not believe it. <laughs> okay, uh, are we yeah, ready to read it? Yeah. kids that, too. Are we ready to read on him, Peter? Do you want to? And you sometimes wanna... it was true, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We doubled a bit there, guys. Right. Um, are we ready to I'm read ready on? To Mar- verses three, three and four. I was, okay, go ahead. I had a suspicion that's what you were going to want to do. All right, good. <laughs> we might be able to get through verse 4 by the end of the, this half hour. Okay. That's all right. Take take the time you want to take. Verse 3 continues the thought of shame started in verse 2. We are weeping, howling, and have shaved all of our hair from our heads and faces. We look kind of like Middle Ages monks of Christianity, except that they at least had only the crowns of their heads and the sides of their heads shaved, leaving behind what looked like a two- or three-inch halo of hair, as it were. It's uh, it's probable that you've seen such things in Hollywood movies, usually in, as comic relief. <clears throat> anyway, the whole idea is that the baldness is a sign of your mourning and inflicting your soul, what verse 3 calls howling, weeping abundantly. 
Okay, the word translated Heshbon in verse four <coughs> is from the uh, the Hebrew twenty-eight hundred three Chashab, which means to join or to combine separate items. Heshbon is being combined with the KJV spelling Elale Elala. Okay, from uh, the Hebrew four ten L or Al and H. 59 Hebrew 5927 Allah okay so Allah to ascend through strength and that Allah that's what we're talking about as in the God of the Muslims okay is Allah okay <laughs> well to I go up Lamed yeah. Hey. <clears throat> yeah their uh, their voice <clears throat> uh, notice the plural their singular voice is heard to stamp, okay, um, <laughs> that's yachatz, so uh, this sounds like a large military formation, marching perfectly in step. Moab's armed soldiers get it and are scared spitless. This is how Yah is moving Moab away from his own, and again, Moab's armed soldiers get it and are scared spitless. They ain't hanging around to get annihilated by the massive army coming against them because each Moabi is, again, scared spitless, and each one's life is grievous to him, okay? Each one's life is grievous to himself, is what I should say. Grievous is from the word yara, which means to restrict or to limit space. The Moabi feel as if there's nowhere to run, like they are completely surrounded by overwhelming forces at arms, against them happy new year by the way i just looked at the time while i was i was actually working on this at midnight uh night before last okay so <laughs> it was zero zero one on one jan 2024 anyway they are going to each run for his life away from the non-existent army deployed against them if yah had made it sound like they were surrounded each may have killed them anyone that, that they thought was in their flight path it would not surprise me to learn that Brother Moavi killing Brother, Brother Moavi, each trying to escape the enemy, which, by the way, was Yah, making all the noise, wasn't exactly what happened, okay? It, I, I believe that most of the Moavi who died in this particular battle died because they were running away from Yah and they were trying to get the guys in front of them out of their way, Okay. <laughs> I really think that's what happened in <clears throat> verses three and four. That's and I'm done with those. Okay, are we ready to read on? Ray, you want to add anything, or should we continue? Uh, where are you going to pick up reading, Mark? Uh, at verse five is where I was planning on starting, unless you got a different request. Sure. Why don't you go ahead and read first, and then that way the li listeners can be. Uh, uh, up to up to date with what we're talking about, and then we can go back and and visit some more. Go ahead. Okay, absolutely. Now, and, and I will go ahead and complain, continue the chapter. Uh, this is a relatively short chapter. There are several here, and it makes you wonder since the topic doesn't change a lot why the chapter breaks or where they are. But hey, here we go. 
These are quotes, by the way. They should be words in red the prophet is pushing uh, or uh, revealing to us. My heart, meaning his, will cry out from Moab. His fugitives uh, will flee to Zoar like a three-year-old heifer. For by the ascent of Luhith, they will go up with weeping. For in the way of Horonaim, they will raise up a cry of destruction. For the waters of Nimrim will be desolate. For the green grass is withered away. The grass fails. There's nothing green. Therefore, the abundance they have gained and what they've laid up, they will carry away to the brook of the willows. For the cry has gone all around the borders of Moab, it's wailing to Eglaim, and it's wailing to Beer Elim. For the waters of Demon will be full of blood, because I will bring more upon Demon, lions upon him who escapes from Moab, and upon the remnant of the land. So a lot of places in there that we might not be familiar with, but we get the general tone, and it's not particularly happy for those in uh, in this particular location and of this lineage that um, are, are evidently deserving of some pretty uh, harsh treatment, I guess to put it mildly. All right, Ray, let's go to you on this one. Just just a quick general observation, and, and I am not a, a geographer, but based on a few of the, the, the town names that I'm familiar with that, that I think are happening here, it seems to me that this whole, uh, this whole sequence of things is the battles seem to begin in southern Moab, and it seems like the enemy is pushing them north. Uh, uh, and all that. I don't know, I don't know what that says or means, but it seems like we're, we're, we're moving. And then finally, when we get, uh, oh golly, uh, when it starts talking about Zoar here, we were just there just a moment ago. Then Zoar is, is then back in, in the south again. But, but up to this time, at least the way I'm reading this, if, if I have my geography correct, it seems like, uh, the, the people are being pushed northward, and I'm not exactly sure why why that's happening, um, I, or, or if that sets a a, uh, a pattern for something that will happen yet future uh, in, our, in our time. Sure, by all means, jump in. If I may, I I, I think that that is because um, the normal movement from Babylon. Um, uh, like that uh, Persia, like that mm-hmm. to Israel is by a, by a northern route. They follow the Euphrates River until they get up around the top of the, the northern edge of Syria, and then they come south. Yep. Okay. In this particular case, Moab is coming directly across the uh, the uh, the desert and coming into. I'm sorry, not Moab. I should say Babylon or or uh, Assyria are coming. Directly across the thing, directly at Moab. Okay? <coughs> yeah. So this is this is a very different situation than what normally happens. They usually go the way of the Euphrates because they've got good water for most of the trip. Sure. Okay. Well, and that makes good sense. And everything up till now, we we've been hearing that everything is coming from the north. There, you know, fear the stuff to the north. It's everything's coming down on us. And then uh, all of a sudden here. We change gears and, and, and the, the, uh, the advance is happening from the south and actually pushing northwards. I, I'm, and my assumption is it's all on the, uh, the eastern side of the Dead Sea, uh, based on this, uh, you know, and which is not real easy country to be going north and south in. 
so it, it's just kind of interesting to me. Yeah, if you if you get out of the Yarden Valley, okay, um, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty easy going, except that it's all desert. You know, so you gotta you gotta find water holes and stuff like that, or you gotta carry a whole bunch of water with you in order to stay alive. Sure, that's sure. one of the reasons that the Persians always came around the Euphrates River, and you know what I mean. Oh yeah, makes makes absolute tactical sense. Yeah. Plus, it's easier. Usually, river valleys are a lot easier to walk down than. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, they would be walking up the valley, not down. Up the valley. Well, See, either the valley way, goes to the Persian Gulf. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Some time. All right. Well, we're at the break, guys. We'll just pick it up when we get back. God, I'm breathing, and I pray, don't take me soon, cause I am here for. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday need a lot to turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we don't want to fight no more. back folks and uh let's see uh, everybody was talking i think at the bottom of the hour where are we? <laughs> who wants to pick it up i can uh, i can take it for verses five and six okay go ahead let's uh have we read the whole chapter uh yes i did okay all right then okay so azamra gives us this intro to verse five okay uh, my heart cries out to Moab in verse 5. Rashi um, comments this way. He said, The prophets of Israel are not like the prophets of the nations of the world. Bilaam sought to uproot Israel for no reason, while the prophets of Israel mourn over the punishments of the nations. Okay, the, um, the Moabites were descended from the incestuous relationship between Abraham's nephew Lot and his oldest daughter, under the destruction of, or after the destruction of Sodom. That's in Genesis chapter 19, verses 33 to 38. The mountainous strip of land east of the Dead Sea, above Sodom, to which Lot had fled, became the inheritance of the children of Moab, while the children of Ammon, born from his relations with his second daughter, inherited the territories further north. This, by the way, is all from uh, Azamra, and, you know, they're telling you that this Jew 
was not the most uh, faithful uh, Jew in the world. Anyway, the, <laughs> it, and, and that's one of the reasons I trust them because they're willing to to crack on their own people. Now the territories of the well, Moabites, wait a second. Let's be Moabites, clear. Rather, they they Latin, weren't large, They weren't necessarily. I that. What? I was going to say. Let's be clear. Uh, you know, Moab itself. Moab is a descendant of Lot, which predates Judah by a long time. So uh, this is a discussion we've had before. Uh, what exactly is a Jew? And when they talk about it, uh, you got to be. You got to take it with a grain of salt. And make sure you understand the context. And and that is uh, that's perhaps a bit different here. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so the territories of the Moabites lying largely on a plateau. 4,300 feet above sea level uh, of the of the level, or rather the level of the Dead Sea, uh, which means that they're about 3,000 feet ab- above sea level, consists of steep but fertile hills that provided excellent pasture for their many sheep and cattle, as well as abundant grain and wine. Thus, although this region of the south of the nor- modern kingdom of Jordan is not particularly famous or noteworthy today. In ancient times, it was the center of a thriving kingdom with its own idolatrous religion and culture and a mighty army. I think that, this is me talking now, I think that the way verse 5 opens in the KJV, uh, either Yah, Yeshayahu, or both, are fighting back any compassion they might have for Moab. His fugitives in verse 5 is no doubt speaking of Moab's scared, spitless forces running in whatever direction each individual thought was best for him, regardless any orders his officers and non-coms may have given. What is special about a three-year-old heifer? I wonder about that. What is special about a three-year-old heifer? The first mention of a heifer was in Genesis 15, and it means to also be three years old. That's what's, uh, what was going on in Genesis 15. Let's see. Uh, verses 1 to, nine, 1 to 6, and then verse 9. And these things, Devar Yah, that's the word of Yah, uh, would be Yeshua, came unto Avram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Avram, I am thy shield, thy exceeding great reward. And Avram said, Yah, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house, this Eliezer of Damascus? And Avram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is my seed. And behold, Devariah said unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that cometh shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, that means count the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he, that is Abraham, believed Yah, and he, Yah, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. Obedience. And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Notice, please, that the first animal, and likely the most important here, is a three-year-old heifer. Not to mention the other herd animals. And that, it's the first use of the word in revealed scripture, the word heifer. Mm-hmm. When you see the word heifer in scripture, pay attention. Something big is likely to be revealed. A heifer is a cow, 
vice a bull. Only notice, also notice rather, that the other animals are she types, but the heifer is called a she bovine, but a heifer. That has to be a reason. There has to be a reason for that. Maybe our cattle baron MC can give us a clue about that. I don't know. Well, okay. Uh, bring it back to me when you're done baroning. Well, no. Uh, all I MC. was going to suggest is that um, if you, if you, uh, having having had some animals and and uh, raising them and and so forth, you know, you get a feel for the uh, the time when they're fertile and uh, what the uh, what the economics are and so forth. And the bottom line is that. Um, uh, the females of the species are usually, especially when they're cows or goats, uh, they're worth more uh, economically because they give milk and they have babies and so forth. And one bull or one billy can take care of a whole right. flock of uh, other animals. So you, a lot of times we'll see that the uh, the animals that were used for food that were given to the Kohanim would have been um, male goats, for example, of the first year. And uh, that's when they're the tenderest and they don't um, – once they become, uh, you know, more uh, – let's just say pro, pro – have greater proclivity to go out in the field and sow their wild oats, they don't taste as good for reasons that I won't go into. But, um, you know, those kinds of things all have to do with the, the, the value of the animals. And a heifer of three years old is kind of in her prime. So she would be able to have milk and, and bring forth other, uh, other um, calves and, and so forth. So that would be my, my first take. I mean, there may be some more spiritual application, but certainly in terms of, of an economic value, three-year-old heifers is something you want to you wanna have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what I thought. But I wasn't, I wasn't certain, so I asked you. Okay. Well, that's good <laughs> practice, just, yeah. Just, just would point out that the, that the, the, the heifers that are used for the, uh, uh, for the red heifer sacrifice for the uh, ashes of purification are yeah. three-year-old heifers. So, so yes, this is exactly, uh, uh, this is, a, a, a that is the prime time for them. And that would, and that would make a lot of sense to me because that's when the heifer <laughs> itself is actually worth the most, as Mark told us. And she's at her prime for creating more, more cattle. Yes. Okay? And so that would be a, um, a much more expensive thing to uh it's to a bigger offer. ask and i think that's the idea so we're giving we're giving back to yah as the best that we possibly can yeah and i i would add one thing and this is just a, a small bunny trail let's not go too far down it but uh the the <laughs> when uh male and female ch- children are redeemed uh, and, and all of that, when we look at the, the period of, uh, purification that the mothers need to go through. For male children, it's a relatively short period of time. For female children, it's a much longer time. And I think part of that is, and, and it's a kind of a, a backward way of looking at things, that, that God honors the female in this way because from her, life can come. Uh, she is, she's the receptacle that brings forth life. Yes, you have to have a father, but but uh, again, as Mark pointed out, you know, one Billy can take care of a whole flock, and and I guess that uh, the it, it's the females that 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 have a special place, and God takes special time with them. Yeah, Amen. we see that consistently throughout and, Scripture, and, and we all, being married, understand that very well. That our wives are actually the much better half. 
<laughs> of the of the two of us. Amen. Yeah, I've never even met your wife, Ray, and I still think she's better, a nicer person than you are. Okay. Oh well, absolutely. It would, it would not take a clairvoyant to figure that out. But yes, the the, the lovely Jill is. Uh, I I am uh, constantly reminded how lucky I am to yep. to have her as a wife. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I call my lovely bride lovely bride all the time. When even when there's nobody else around. Yep. Because yep. <laughs> because absolutely, she is the she is the epitome of. Yeah, that's that's my pet nickname for Jill is the lovely Jill. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, where are we at? Oh, um, we're ready me. to read into seventeen. Oh. If you guys are all commented to where you want to go. Yeah. Well, here we go. Uh, as I as I was saying earlier. Um, the heifer is a breeder cow, and after she bears her calf or calves, she feeds them, her owner not getting as much milk from her as before, but as long as he keeps milking her, she keeps producing milk, even when her whelps are off the teat. I will yes. be going tonight to get some milk. Well, actually, I won't be going tonight. I did it yesterday. But uh, going to get some milk from my herd of Amish cows. Okay, yes. The herd converted. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, I bought a, a share of this herd, and now I can go and buy my milk, and I pay the Amish farmer a buck and a half a gallon. I'm sorry, three bucks a gallon for his labor. Okay, and I go That's and wonderful. Milk. And so, <laughs> I think it's a wonderful thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> okay, it's a volume so, deal. <laughs> let, let me move on here. I have one, just one other comment before you do. And you yeah. reminded me of something I think that's very important, and I just want to underscore it for the listeners. I don't want to sound like a climate change weenie. But <laughs> that's good. The, the, the climate during this period of time was was vastly different than, yeah. than it was. And, and we forget that. We tend to think of, of uh, the lands that are being described in Scripture in these places as being pretty stark, pretty harsh, pretty pretty hot, pretty dry, pretty forbidding and all that. You remember when Lot and Abraham were deciding to pa- to go their own ways, and Abraham very, very, very kindly offers his junior the first choice, which is unheard of. But uh and and Lot says, Oh, okay, oh well you're giving me first choice. Well hey, I'll I'll take the Dead Sea area. I'll I'll take the Jordan Valley because wow, that's Man, that's the good place. That's where everything is lush and green and well watered and this and that. You remember the the uh, um, uh, when the children of Israel are are getting ready to enter the land, Manasseh says, "Hey, we're herdsmen, and man, this is the this is the good stuff. We really want to stay here." So it it it's obviously uh, was a vastly different place uh, than. Uh, than we know now, and I, I think uh, finally scientists are beginning to catch up with it. And the area that, that is now the Sahara was was not a desert then, and there there was all there's much much things were much much different. And yeah. the one thing that we can say about climate is it changes, uh, yeah. and it it's, it doesn't have to do with pinheads at Harvard. Uh, telling us that, uh, and it hasn't—it hasn't, so, it hasn't exactly. got to do with cattle and, exactly. and that's, that's men my that's my comment for the president of Harvard today. Yeah. 
Yeah, good riddance. There you go. You were trying to get in, Marco. Uh, no, I was just going to say it doesn't have to do with, <laughs> with uh, the way God designed us to breathe and carbon dioxide and the life cycle that makes for um, – uh, you know, oxygen and, and the things that we need to live and plants and, and sugars and you name it. So, uh, you'd have to be pretty darn stupid to accept the, uh, the crap, if you'll pardon my, that's as kind of a word as I can come up with that's coming out of the UN. And, and you're right, Ray. It's always important to point out that, um, so much of the things that we've been told just aren't true. And we need to recognize what scripture and, uh, and science, even when it's appropriate, uh, really say. Well, when scientists are being honest, yes. The problem is they have to figure out where their next uh, uh, grant is coming from. Well, there's a there's and a term that I like to use. They've turned in they've turned it turned it into a dodge and a hustle. Yeah, uh, instead of being the quest for uh, for truth. The terminology, right. the term that is used in scripture okay. to describe the uh, the woman who sells her body is uh, a harlot, or uh, you know we have a more modern term for it, but it amounts to the same thing. And I use that same term when it comes to a so-called scientist yeah. that sells his mind for a grant and uh, a little bit of a lie, and a uh, as long as you discontinue to push the lie. So yeah, we we need to be frank about what's going on, and and it is in fact whoring that we're seeing in so much of this. And and I think really that's a big part of the reason why. Uh, a lot of the things that we're seeing uh, in this chapter are are appropriate because you know the more things change, the more they say the same. Solomon said it ain't nothing new under the sun. Absolutely, I'm in. Okay, okay. let me continue on here. Um, I'm I'm about halfway through my commentary on verse five, so here we go. <laughs> By the mounting up of Luhit with weeping uh, is a strange to my Western Gentile mind. Mounting up is from the Hebrew 4608, uh, ma'ale. Um, that's uh, a mem prefix on a uh, ayin, lamed, he, ale. Okay, so, which is from the Hebrew 5927, ala. Okay? Back to that. Which sounds suspiciously like the false god Muslims venerate. And when you add the mem prefix, the word means from Allah. Okay? Yeah. I'll bet you guys in audience in audience land never heard of that connection, did you? Allah has been around for quite some time, long before Muhammad anyway. Sure. The root the root word behind Luhit is Luach, and it means to form a flat surface. Subjectively, it's a table. What they may have done was excavated the top of a large hill or mountain until it was roughly flat. Moriah, where Avraham placed Yitzhak on the buyer and was about to slaughter him when Yah demanded it, comes to mind. Moriah became the temple mount in Yerushalayim. I am also of the opinion that Luchit and Choranaim are the same hill with a top as flat as a, tape, a pool table top. Okay. Sounds like Luhit, Koronaim, the, the, they're in the same uh, vicinity of the, of the text, is a hill with a flat summit. Looks like Azamra got it right. No surprise there. That's why I quote them so frequently. I trust Azamra almost as much as I trust my two co-hosts here, Mark and Ray. <laughs> and that's what I got through verse 5 Okay. of chapter 15. Um. Okay. Yep, I'm 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 ready. Ray, Ray, if you have anything you Anyone want to else? add, 
no, not not at this not at this point. Okay, like right. I said, there's there's a lot here. Come on back to me, I'll... and we're gonna. Uh, you're not ready to go into chapter uh, sixteen yet, then, MP? There's. Uh, no, no, I'm uh, I'm still on verse six of chapter fifteen. Well, um, MP, why don't you? We've just, got about six minutes or so. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and finish up fifteen if you can? Your comments uh, on that before give, the break. I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. Okay, so here we go. Verses 6 and 7. Uh, Zamra has this on these verses. Isaiah laments Moab's destruction. The nation that was like a fat, prosperous three-year-old heifer would flee screaming over their own devastation. For the waters of Nimrim shall be desolate, for the hay is withered away, the grass fails, there is no green thing, in verse 6. From this verse, we can understand how lush and prosperous were the pastures of the Moavi at the height of their greatness. Now, Maim Nimrim equals clear waters. That's what that means. But Yah is telling us that these waters shall be desolate. That is uh, Meshamah, from uh, which word literally means to devastate or to stupefy, uh, depending on the object of the situation of the action. Um, the facial expression of one who is stupefied or devastated is kind of similar. The Hebrew behind withered away is H3001, Yavesh, which kind of sounds like, uh, well, anyway, uh, to be ashamed, confused, disappointed. There has have been times when I have been all three, ashamed, confused, and disappointed. This entire verse is talking about the life of whatever is being discussed, withering away, and finally giving up the ghost. No green, no life. Azamra has this on verse 7. Although cousins, sons of Lot, of the Israelis, rather, the Moavi were traditionally hostile to Israel in the times of Moshe, the judges, and the kings. In this, they were seen as the epitome of ingratitude because Abraham had taken Lot from Haran and saved him from captivity by the four kings. Amen. And in Abraham's merit, Lot was saved from the destruction of Sodom. Yet, not only did the Moavi not help Israel, they sent Bilam to curse them and made war against them in the time of the judges and the kings. Yep. When Sennacherib took the tribes of Reuben and Gad, threw the territory into exile, the Moabi mocked them, saying that they were simply returning to the other side of the Euphrates River, from which their ancestor Abraham had come. The Moabi's final expression of ingratitude was when they came to assist Sennacherib when he laid siege to Shomron for three years. That's Rashi on Isaiah chapter 16, verse 14. <laughs> In retribution, many of the Moabi themselves were taken into exile by Sennacherib, and any that were left were later ex uh, exiled by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, according to the rabbinic tradition, the Moavi became completely assimilated with the other nations, and all trace of them was lost. That according to Rambam and Hilchos Ishuri Baya, and I'm going to stop there. Although Yirmiyahu says in 48, 47, that at the end of days, Elohim will return the captivity of Moab. And that would make sense, since Lot's son was Moab, 
and at least some of the children of Moab would have an affinity for Yah, especially if they were told of their ancestry through Lot to Abraham, whose first mention as Avram is in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 26. I mean, these people go back uh, in their lineage, at least, to Abraham, and and actually as far as Adam, but Abraham was their father's father. Okay, yeah. and so you would think that they would get along more than anything with the children of Abraham, but they don't want to. That's what I got. I, I can only think of one notable exception, that being Ruth. Well, yeah, and, well, yeah, and and Ruth is a is a is a uh, a direct a direct ancestor of Yeshua. Yes. Well, for that reason, precisely. Yeah, he. Okay, so I got we got three more verses, and that's about that for this chapter. Okay, well we we got thirty seconds is at at most. Yeah, we're not gonna, we're not going to get through all of that by then. There it is there. I'm the God I'm free. We're on the other side. Yep. And we are there. I pray, don't take me soon, cause I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday the Lord's turn around because. Sometimes I under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. All right, we are back, folks. This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable Tanakh edition, and we are about ready, I think, to begin Chapter 16 of the Book of Yeshayahu. Uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm hoping we can see that uh, so much of these uh, next few chapters kind of tie in together. And uh, we're literally working our way up to some of the, uh, uh, what I think is the most fascinating part. Um, so um, I guess MP is ready. We will continue then. And uh, this is how it begins. It says, send the lamb to the ruler of the land. Well, that's kind of interesting. From Selah to the, the wilderness, to the mount of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest, so shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. And uh, that basically, uh, think about a shadow in the middle of the day, um, or the night rather, in the middle of the day, and yeah, it's not much of it there, so maybe that's what they're saying. Hide the outcast, do not betray him who escapes, let my outcast dwell with you 
O Moab, be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. Now, this is one of the things that uh, is going to get to the heart of a number of elements of, of history and scripture uh, in particular. We'll talk about some of those. But this idea that, uh, you know, when you should have done something for my people, uh, sometimes you were beating on them and, and taking spoil from them rather than doing what you should have done for your brother. Other times there were people trying to come and you didn't give them a safe harbor. So um, that seems to be a big part of the uh, the the. Uh, uh, problem that he has with them here. Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. For the extortioner is at the at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. In mercy, the throne will be established and one. Now, King James capitalizes it, but one will sit on it in truth and the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. And I like to point out that word there, the root zadeka, has to do with Torah obedience. One who studies and walks in obedience is a zadik, and that is the concept that uh, underlies righteousness. Okay, um, Ray, Ray, let's go to you and let you comment on anything there that you want to. Just uh, just an, an interesting thing, and I'm not sure that I'm reading this correctly, but I'll, I'll uh, 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 pass it along. <clears throat> so in, in 16.1, you, you almost get the feeling that Isaiah is, at this point in time, it's almost as if the scene changes, and we find uh, Isaiah almost eavesdropping on, uh, the, on the Moabite cabinet. You know, they've been running from... They've been running and trying to do their best to get away from the destroyer. They've been licking their wounds and doing whatever they can do to, to pick pick up the few pieces that they've got. And this is as if the the they're sitting around the campfire and they're saying, "Well, how about we send a lamb to the ruler uh, the ruler of the lamb and from Salah by the way of the desert and we should do this uh, because we're like fleeing birds and we're yeah, da, 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 da. and, and I, I get the feeling that that that. All of a sudden, he just shifts, and and it's like we're in the middle we're in the middle of the enemy camp listening to them or something. I I don't know what how you all read that, but to me that's about the only way I can make sense of 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 what the, what that's being said what's being said there. What do you think of this? Uh, that's an interesting take. I hadn't thought I of think. it that way myself. Go ahead, MP. Uh, I'm I think that uh, that. He was using the the spirit of Yah as a as a an inside uh, what you would call a an eavesdropper. As sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't have to be there, man. The, the spirit I, I understood. It just it, it, know. yeah. It just all of a sudden it seems like there's this. It's like if you're watching a movie and you're seeing action in one place, and then all of a sudden we shift to a we cut to a scene. Or we see a couple of leaders talking, blah 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 blah, and then we cut back to the action again, <laughs> and and it's it kind of almost reads like a film script in a way here, and it just at least that's the way I saw it. I don't know that that I'm correct. That's why I was getting getting your take on on that, just trying to figure it out. No, it makes perfect sense to me that you know the spirit of Yah is omnipresent. He's everywhere, all at once, and so. <laughs> He's, he he could be sitting there in the in the middle of a cabinet meeting, and telling uh, one of his people exactly what's going on there, word for word, uh, even the color of the the people's hair and the and the shirts they're wearing. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, if 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 we're that tight with Yah, which I have to admit that I'm not, but if we're that tight with Yah, <laughs> we can know everything that's going on that we need to worry about and warn people about it. And I think that maybe that's why he's not going to do it with me because he knows that I'll just blabber it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and interestingly, as as Mark was reading, it talks about in four, uh, in four that the outcasts of Moab they're saying, please, you know, let our refugees, let our outcasts, let us sojourn with you, let let us hide with you, because maybe maybe by chance the destroyer won't won't find us, you know, and, and this and that. So there's just it, it's just a very very different scene. We're getting all this kind of backroom sort of stuff that 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 we're hearing. I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's that room kind of stuff. It's kind of what uh, what uh, Trump is going through, uh, you know, because people seem to know exactly what's going on around him. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> anyway, oh, oh gosh, don't go there. <laughs> uh, but uh, all right. So, um, have you commented at all yet on uh, on the? Content of the of the chapter, or that that the, those are my observations for right now. I I don't. Uh, okay. Uh, well, let I, me uh, let me see what I can do with uh, chapter with verses one to four here. Anyway. Sure. Uh, Azamra opens with this on verses one to four. They say the reason for Moab's punishment is that they did not help and support Israel. This is alluded to in verse one. Send mm-hmm. the lamb to the ruler of the land. To the mountain of the daughter of Zion. Mesha, the king of Moab, had been subject to King Ahav of Israel, to whom he used to send 100,000 sheep. In 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 4, you can read about it. Oh, interesting. Okay. But after the death of Ahav, he rebelled. Isaiah is saying here that the Moabi should have sent lambs to the temple in Jerusalem. And had they done so in the time of Hiskiyahu, they would have been saved from exile. But because of their failure to do so, they would be punished. Now, Israel is, and this is me talking now, Israel is here referred to as the Lamb, and the mount of the daughter of Zion is, well, Zion. I think that that's the temple mount here in verse Uh, Mm 1. Let's see if that, that plays out. Um, so well, it, it I, certainly with with the reference back to to Second Kings, that that uh, I I had uh, not remembered any of that, and and that certainly makes crystal clear sense. Yep. What they would be saying in their campfire, it's like, well, well, you better send some lambs up there too, sweet. You know, we used to do that, and we were okay then. Yeah. So that that Why makes good sense. Why are we quit doing sense. that? Yeah. Yeah, that makes good exactly. sense. Okay, so Israel is here referred to as the Lamb, and the Mount of the Daughter of Zion. Is, oh, I've already read that. Um, <laughs> let me go. Let me go down here in verse two. Uh, in verse two, a wandering bird lands in another bird's nest and is summarily dismissed by the actual owner, which is what will be happening to Moab here. Okay, the fords of Arnon. Mm-hmm. are very likely in the eastern heights of Moab, since the Arnon empties into the Dead Sea, just about in its center 
from the wilderness of Kedemot on the east towards Babylon. Yeah. So the daughters of Moab will find their ways to the fords. They will be, they, they will be received like red-haired stepchildren. Uh, I hope that they bring a lot of money or stuff to trade with because they aren't getting across the ford with just their good looks or sale of them to the highest bidder or the first bidder. Uh, two orthodox comments on this. Um, Yeshiah, who chastises Moab for not helping to the fugitive Jews, even after Nebuchadnezzar's army has delivered or departed the pattern. Um, and I added the pattern there. This was a lack of gratitude, for Abraham had risked his life to rescue Lot, Moab's ancestor. Moab should have provided uh, hiding places as if making the noontime every, uh, very dark so as to hinder the uh, Assyrian pursuit, that according to Radak. And I have to, I have to agree with that. The, these guys were, the Jews were doing them a big favor. And they, they just didn't see it that way. The, I'm sorry, you're Jews, you got to go. And it's, it's kind of like this is Hamas and, and Israel right now. I mean, I, I, and I think that these probably are direct descendants um, of the, the Hamasis right now, are direct descendants of these guys that we're reading about in chapter uh, 16. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me even a little bit to find that out. And they've been, and they've been hating Israel all this time for 3,000 years. It's absolutely amazing to me. How can, how can they hold that kind of a grudge for that long? Makes no sense to me. Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna quit there at the end of verse three. All right. Go ahead, Ray. If you have anything, if you don't, we'll we'll go uh, on. Uh, again, I, I'm just I'm just looking at the the text in four, uh, <clears throat> and and the, again the outcasts of Moab they sojourn with uh, with you there they're, they're looking. They're looking to find a place to hide, uh, and all that. And, uh, as you rightly pointed out, uh, Mark, you mentioned that you were reading from the King James. No. And it said in verse five. I, I said, I'm is sorry. Is that correct? No, I, I, I've got a new King James here, and I sometimes make a reference to the King James or the King, well, James, King James ish, but a lot of times the capitalization is going to be the same. Yeah, you both. said that, that yeah, you said in the tent of David one, and you said the capital that was capitalized. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if if I heard you correctly, that that is true. Um, yeah. And, That's what. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I would say at this point, at least, in, in, unless Mark, you have something else to say, I think maybe. We ought to go on it. It's sixteen six because it talks about uh, again. It talks. Uh, it, it details the. We've heard about the pride of Moab, and I think as uh, <clears throat> as uh, MP has been talking about all the way along, it, it these these folks could have done. They could have done better. They they could have been friendly. They could have done this. They could have done that. The. Uh, uh, all, all these reasons for not treating their relatives the way they ought to have treat, treated them, probably when it comes right down to it and and we sand everything else off, uh, it probably has to do with pride. And I think that's that's the the point that we're gonna 
we're going to hear about in the next segment. You bet. That, that they, they are incredibly prideful, and that's what that that's what drives this sort of behavior. It's, yeah, he's going to make that yeah. very clear to them. That's that's why I, I well, was. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I've got a little bit more on verses three and four, and uh, then then I'll uh, I'll quit. Okay, so there, here's Azamra's comment on verses three and four. They say here Isaiah asks the Moabite to give succor to the Israelites when they would later try to escape from uh, Nebuchadnezzar's armies by uh, taking refuge in their territory. If they, Moab, would do so, they would avoid exile. But since they would not, they would be exiled. That's from Azamra. Now, I have to agree, because Yah will see to it that what goes around will certainly come around. And if you want his favor, you will, re you will repay as you have received, and that at least in kind. Yah asks Moab, through Yeshayahu, and in a Mark paraphrase, let my people dwell with you, cover them for me, because Babylon will not be the big dog forever, and when I bring them down, I will remember you, or how you treated my people, and you will be repaid as you deserve. Okay? That's the way that I think Yah was thinking. By the way, if you ever get into a poker game with Yah, remember this. He never bluffs. Okay. He doesn't need no. to. <laughs> he knows what you're carrying. Yeah. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> okay. Is, is Yah still speaking to Moab? He promises to establish the throne of Yerushalayim, I think, and that David or his messianic descendant, Yeshua, will sit the throne there. And if Moab will help Israel against Babylon, Yah will repay them in kind and superabundantly. Here's what Azamra has to say on verse 5. And in mercy, a throne will be established, and he, that is Mashiach, I think, shall sit upon it in truth. Azamra says, our commentators interpret this verse as an allusion to the throne of Hezekiah. This was greatly strengthened after the overthrow of Sennacherib, which came after he had already exiled the Moabite. The house of David itself was descended from the Moabite princess Ruth, daughter of King Eglon, who was King David's great-grandmother. Ruth embodied the spark of holiness that came down from the line of Abraham's nephew, Lot. When she converted, the vital spark of, the, of whose... I'm sorry, for whose sake Moab was kept alive, left it. And this, thus, the Kalipah, the husk. The remaining people of Moab fell away into exile, while the throne of David was simultaneously strengthened. This is incredible stuff, and it's absolutely the truth. Because his great-grandmother, David's great-grandmother, uh, converted, she became the great-grandmother of the king of Israel and all of the kings, all the way down to Yeshua, who is also a son of David. This is just too interesting for me. I love following these genealogies through the scripture. It's, it's really pretty, pretty crazy how all of these wonderful people are in the line of, uh, of Yeshua, and they're therefore us spiritually. 
anyway, that's what I got through verse five. Okay. Ray, are you ready to continue? You want you want to add anything at this point, or would you rather read on to the other uh, the other portion here? <clears throat> uh, the only other thing I I would I would just add add on to uh, the genealogy part is we see time and time and time again that that it's not it, it's not the firstborn. It, it, it's not the Abrahamic. It's not the this. It's not the that. It's 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 not any of this stuff that's important. It's the heart, and and the father chooses the people to be to uh, <laughs> that is in the line of his Messiah. He chooses people that have the the right hearts, uh, and and can bring that quality uh, down. Because uh, again, by the time we get to Ruth, I mean the Moabites were despised absolutely despised in 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 hebrew culture <clears throat> for the, the reasons that you've uh, that we're reading about and the reasons that you've you've detailed and yet uh and yet she is she is able to enter into that part of that promise and and all of that and it's just one more example and i guess it's 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 a humbling thing it's it's one of the reasons that we can read about the Various people in in scripture in their lives and and uh, and and scripture paints uh, paints these people with a true brush. They're they're human beings like we are, and and they they did some they did some rotten things. They did some scummy things. They they did they made big mistakes. They did all kinds of stuff. And yet, if they have the right heart and they return to the Lord, God will continue to use them, and He can use them, and He can turn things around. And take all the rotten stuff that they have done and use it for good. So, end of the sermon. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's continue then, because this is the part where I've been uh, waiting to get up to, and I think we're going to see some pieces begin to fall into place. Um, because it says this in verse 6, We have heard of the pride of Moab. Oh, he is very proud of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath. But his lies shall not be so. Now, there's a lot of italics in there. It just says, uh, his lies not so. So um, maybe he's uh, maybe he's got some things that he shouldn't be so proud of. Therefore, Moab shall wail for Moab. Everyone will wail. For the foundations of Kir, uh, Haraset, you shall mourn. Surely they're stricken. For the fields of Heshbon languish, and the vine of Shibma, the lord of the nations, have broken down its choice plants, which have reached to Yazer and wandered through the wilderness. Her branches are stretched out. They're gone over the sea. Therefore, I will bewail the vine of Sibma with the weeping of Yazer. I'll drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Eliale, for battle cries have fallen over your summer fruits and over your harvest. Now, I'm going to read a little bit further because a lot of this, I think, tends to go together, and um, it makes the bigger picture. That's why I was wanting to kind of get to some of, of this. Gladness is taken away and joy from the plentiful field. In the vineyards there will be no singing, nor will there be shouting. No treaders will tread out wine in the presses. I have made their shouting cease. <laughs> Therefore, my heart shall resound like a harp. For Moab and my inner being for Kir Heres. And it shall come to pass when it's seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he will come to his sanctuary to pray, but he will not prevail. 
And I'll go ahead and read the rest of this. Again, I, I think it all fits together, and that's kind of uh, why I wanted to make sure we, we got a, mm-hmm. a, a big picture. Yeah, go for it. This is the word, Hadibar, which the Yahuwah has spoken concerning Moab <laughs> since that time. But now Yahuwah has spoken, saying, Within three years, as the years of a hired man, the glory of Moab will be despised with all that great multitude, and the remnant will be very small and feeble. So um, we're going to see this, and this will be my comment, and I'll go to, to Mark and let him catch up where he'd like. But um, there are a lot of references here to plants, and we're going to see references to harvest and things that are um, just not going to be what they are, uh, they're supposed to be. And I can't help but think we're seeing a lot of that in the world today with harvests that aren't what they were used, uh, what they used to be. And essentially, um, you know, you'll plant but you'll not reap. And a lot of things that seem to represent a, a coming to an end of a level and a time of plenty. And that's what's being described here when it comes to uh, their threshing fields and their vineyards and so forth. All right, go ahead, MP. All right, let's see what I can do. Here we see the opening, uh, in verses 6 through 11, uh, here we see the opening about Moab's pride, haughtiness, and wrath. But it looks immediately like he doesn't lie. Okay, I think that could mean that Moab is prideful because he actually is all of these things. It isn't false bravado, it's all true. But if Yah's scheme of things, in Yah's scheme of things, rather, all of that bravado is counterproductive. Azamra's observation on verses 6 through 11 is the arrogance of Moab. Their destruction is compared to that of a fruitful vine. Okay? It's a fruit, it is a fruitful vine. It's a, it's a, 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 a really well, uh, well run, and uh, with a with a pretty good history, civilization, the Moabite. However, <laughs> they didn't like Israel too much. Now, for example, if Trump were not all of that and a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, he would be lying to himself as well as us. But he kind of is. So, when he seemingly rubs our faces in it, we don't like it. If Trump were all that and was not a bragger, people would just look at his accomplishments and even the people that hate him would tolerate him. That's how it is with Moab in our passage. Moab howls for himself. Okay, great time. We'll be back after the top of the hour. And I pray, don't take me soon, cause I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday the Lord will turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to stay.
All right, we are back, folks. Last segment of the day, and uh, so much is coming together here with respect to this, um, the, the judgment, if you will, on Moab. And I don't think MP was finished. Uh, let me go back to him and uh, uh, let him connect uh, his uh, his notes there. Yeah, I'm going to give it my best shot here. Um, and uh, Okay, anyway, uh, verses 6 through 11. Um, I'm going to repeat something because it, it needs to be in, in people's minds when I get to the next couple of paragraphs. Here we see the opening about Moab's pride, uh, haughtiness, and wrath. But it looks immediately like he doesn't lie. I think that would mean that Moab is prideful because he actually is all of these things. It isn't false bravado. It's all true. But in Yah's scheme of things, all of that bravado is counterproductive. Azamra's observation on verses 6 through 11 is this. The arrogance of Moab, their destruction is compared to that of a fruitful vine. Okay? And they say, therefore, my heart shall moan like a lyre for Moab, in verse 11. Again, the Israelite prophet shows his great compassion for the suffering of the nations with this metaphor evoking the plaintive melody of the lyre. Okay? Now, for example... If Trump were not all of that and a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, he would be lying to himself as well as us. Okay? But he kind of is lying to us and himself when he seemingly rubs our faces in it and we don't like it. If Trump were all that and was not a bragger, people would just look at his accomplishments and even the people that hate him would tolerate him. That's how it is with the Moab in our passage. Moab howls for herself, as Trump does when the media goes off on him. And if he weren't Trump, they wouldn't so relish the idea of taking him down. Okay, so I think it's probably the same. Let me make sure I'm with you, MP. You're you're drawing an analogy that that you're saying Trump is, what, too haughty for his own good? Is that the point? Kind of like Moab, or are you saying something different? I want to make sure I'm with you here. As far as the media is concerned, he is too haughty for his own good. Okay? And they're trying to take him down because of it. That's the whole point. I think it's probably the same with Moab's adversaries. In verse 7, Moab howls for Moab. Sound like any recent president of the USA? It does. It sounds a lot like Trump. Well, it sounds like the last 20 or 30. I I will be voting for Trump. Okay? (laughs) Because he knows how to run a a large edifice. And that's what he did very well for four years. But anyway, that's... I'm going to vote for him in in the general election. I will be voting for him in the Republican primary. But, you know... There isn't, there isn't a whole lot I can do about that. Anyway, that's what's going on here. Now, in verses 12 through 14, I'm going to give you a Zamra's take on this. The Moabites' prayers to their gods will not help them. That's what it says in verse 12, and it, and it does. And in verse 13 and 14, the prophecy on the looming calamity that would strike Moab after their three years in the service of Sennacherib besieging Shomron, like wage laborers, its glory would be cast down and a tiny remnant would be left with no power. And 
these people that sell themselves for this kind of thing for, for you know to, to go to uh, to fight for another nation uh, kind of our uh, Hamasers anyway um, they're they're cannon fodder is what they are and that's basically what Trump became with the news media okay he became cannon fodder I as I said, I trust him more than I do anybody else in the government because he knows how to handle a huge uh, uh, system. He just doesn't know how to do it because he's been doing it for so many years. Okay? And it, it, th that's why I, I like him for that particular position, uh, especially more than just about anybody else that I've seen that wants to that wants that position here. Vivek Ramaswamy is probably a pretty cool. I'd like to see him as the VP. But uh, anyway, uh, that's pretty much it. The uh, the uh, the Moavi are the uh, are the guys that are that are. See, I'm having a hard time putting together the sentences because I don't have them written down. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I gotta I gotta quit at that point. Uh, this is the uh, leftovers of the of the tree incident from 14 years ago. Anyway, okay. Go ahead, um, Ray. Go ahead. If you've got any comments, if not, we'll we'll go ahead and continue. <laughs> well, uh, I I don't know even where to <laughs> chime in on all of that. Um, that's that's why I handed it off uh, to you. See, I'm in the same boat. It, it's, <clears throat> I, I mean, yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll probably just not uh, not not go into politics, at least at this point. Uh, <clears throat> that's what the that's what the Moavi were. They were the politicians. Anyway. Well, uh, yeah, basically, the, the only comment I'll make is the only reason that that Mr. Trump doesn't care is because he's already got a fortune. Yeah. He doesn't care. I don't know if he still the has rest it of them are on their him. way to making a fortune, and that's why they they care about the, these silly little things. But anyway, um, at the end of this chapter, it says when uh, Moab presents himself and he and he wearies himself in the high place and comes off to his sanctuary to pry, he will not prevail. In, in, in other words, with with all of this, uh, uh, he's uh, <laughs> he's. He's fi he's finally gone to pray to his gods and this and that and all this and he's whining and crying because things haven't happened right and, and this and that and the other thing <clears throat> and and basically uh, the Lord is saying it, it's just not it, it's not going to prevail he's not going to prevail and then um, I, I think uh, the way that the chapter ends is is just certainly so fitting and. Uh, and, and Isaiah says it so well in 13. It says, so this is the word that Yahuwah spoke concerning Moab in the past. And he's saying, okay, folks, in case you didn't get the message, this is the word that he spoke. And then he goes on to say, but now Yahuwah has spoken, saying, in three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt in spite of all his great multitude and those who remain will be very few and feeble. So I've already decreed that this is the way things are going to go for all these various reasons and 
this and that and the other thing. It's uh, in in three years from now, you, you're not you're not even going to know that he was here. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what what else can you say? <laughs> well, that's that's about all I can say. You you all uh maybe uh Mr. Call's got some okay. some further stuff for us or whatever, but well, we've got about 15 minutes. I I guess you know he's he's laid it out. I don't know how much there is to add on that score. And um as as uh, yeah. my my general take is if we look at this we will see that there are some parallels and I think we're going to see some of the parallels in terms of the uh the things I already mentioned, the agricultural decline and the fact that uh, you know people got used to a, a time of plenty and food when they needed it and um they're going to find that that's not exactly what they're going to have. Um, if you guys are ready, let's go ahead and read on into chapter 17, because this is arguably one of the most famous, uh, I would say, not yet fulfilled prophecies in the whole book. We okay with that? We can certainly start. Okay, so the burden against the burden against Damascus is how it begins. And um, behold, Damascus is going to cease from a city. It will no longer be a city. Instead, he says, it will be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aurora are forsaken. They'll be for flocks which lie down, and no one will make them afraid. The fortress also will cease from Ephraim, the kingdom from Damascus. So um, when the reference to Ephraim is in there, we've talked about this a lot. Ephraim, of course, was the line of the northern kings, the um, the kings of Israel after the time of the split. So it doesn't sound like that's a, uh, a good thing on their score. The kingdom will cease from Damascus and the remnant of Syria. Now, modern-day Damascus, of course, is in Syria, and certainly uh, most of history that's been the case um, well. They'll be uh, as the glory of the children of Israel, the Benai Israel, says Yehuah Zevuot. And I'll read um, about uh, three more verses, and we'll go to you, Ray, first. And that day it will come to pass that the glory of Yaakov will wane. And I'm going to note that whenever we see Yaakov, again, recognize that um, he's the one guy that when he gets renamed, we still see his old name used. The glory of Yaakov, or Jacob, will wane, and the fatness of his flesh grow lean. So it sounds like for the physical descendants, we got some problems coming. It'll be as when the harvester gathers the grain and reaps the heads with his arms. It'll be, it shall be as he who gathers the heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Yet, gleaning grapes will be left in it, like the shaking of an olive tree. Now, this is the part where I think there's some interesting uh, things that begin to combine with what we've been talking about. So, there's going to be gleaning grapes that'll be left. Like the shaking of an olive tree, two or three olives at the top of the uppermost bough, four or five in its fruitful branches, says Yahuwah Zevot of Israel. So um, I'll throw it out as a question. Ray can comment or, or say what he'd like. But it looks to me like this, uh, at least the way I read it, is saying, you know, you're used to a whole lot of, of fruitful harvest, maybe even enough left over in the uh, uh, in the areas that don't get harvested on the first pass to feed the poor and so forth. And uh, four or five in its fruitful branches doesn't sound like a lot to me. Uh, go ahead, Ray. Just maybe a couple of, of observations with, uh, of course, the uh, the uh, uh, 17.1 is, is a very famous passage when it talks about uh, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. That is that is famous for a couple of places. There there are very few places in Scripture 
where there is an absolute event that is described that becomes a placeholder. Uh, when the, when the Antichrist sits in the temple and declares himself to, to be God is a placeholder. We know right where we are, uh, in, in, in time in scripture when that right. happens. Okay. Uh, I think when we see, when Damascus, when we see Damascus cease to be a city, we will, we will know, okay, we are at one of those great pivotal points in history. Now we can begin to understand what what's going to happen, uh, where we are in time. Okay, what's yeah, mile happen. markers, it's the term I not like. Not subject to guessing. I yeah. know that is uh, that uh, as uh, people have looked at even oh golly, it's been going on for twenty years. Oh gosh, it looks like we're going into the last days this year. Oh, it looks like yeah. it's going to be the 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 you know the. <laughs> Yeah. We're going into the tribulation in January. There we are now. Yeah. You know, every, everybody's got a yeah. Everybody's got a a feeling about what's going on, and 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 I can understand that. I mean, certainly there's a a lot to look around and be pessimistic about, <clears throat> but there there's some things that are placeholder, and this is one of those Absolutely. spots. Uh, you know, and so it, it, it bears the the thing that's important about it is it bears the fact that. Somehow that's going to happen. And it, then it talks about, but the fortress will disappear from Ephraim and the kingdom from, from Damascus. It sounds as if there is some sort of alliance between Ephraim and Damascus or, uh, the northern ten tribes and the Syrians or the Christians and the blah, 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 or the United States and the Syrian, what, whatever you want to talk about. It seems like that there is some sort of uh, that they're, that they're kind of in cahoots on this whole thing, and then it talks about well, you know that the uh, uh, that the the children uh, after this happens, you know, it says the glory of Jacob will be brought low, and and and, and this and that. In other words, for their part in it, I don't know how you guys see maybe some modern day events with all this, but. That's one of those things that I kind of keep my my radar dish uh, scoping towards. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm with I, you on I that. Look at that. Just verse one. I just go ahead, guys. Amazing to me. Okay, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city. Well, if that's the case, it has to have been laid waste somehow. Okay, <clears throat> it ain't happened yet. Yeah, that's I the agree. point. Yeah, and yeah. therefore, and therefore, it's the end yet. Right. But, this is going to be a forerunner of it, Damascus being wiped out. And, you know, that could happen any time. If, uh, if somebody, if, if some ruler in Damascus uh, decides to do something good for Israel, Hamas is going to destroy it. Guaranteed. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's the reason Damascus doesn't support Israel, because they know that they're going to get wiped out if they do. And that would be a forerunner of the end of days. Yeah, well, certainly, certainly we see that to to be the the one Middle Eastern nation that 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 seems to care not for itself or or any of its uh, Islamic brethren is is Persia or what we call Iran now. And I could I could very easily see. 
at some juncture in the future, Iran deciding, well, there, there's things aren't going real well here, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, I guess this, this, this city will just be collateral damage. Yeah. And, you know, for, for their own purposes, uh, they'll, uh, they could do that. I could see certainly, uh, see Turkey or Russia or any of those. You could, you can spin those scenarios pretty, pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, and the problem is, is that there's not much of Damascus left right now anyway. Oh, uh, right? It's been, well, it's been, uh, with uh, the, the, the Syrian regimes that have gone back and forth and all of this, I, I, I mean, I, I, perhaps I'm speaking out of turn. Maybe, maybe I don't, uh, maybe I speak amiss, but it seems to me, at least based on my understanding, that, uh, gosh, it's just gotten walloped from both sides. Uh, you know, just, I mean, it's just getting kicked around all the time. So it's yeah. a pretty big city, though. I mean, it's, it's a big place, so it's hard to know. Well, when it gets leveled, we'll know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, that'll be the easy part then. That'll be the easy part then. And I guess, any kidding yeah. aside, the real the real issue I think here is that this is one of those very dramatic things. Damascus, and if I'm remembering correctly, uh, some of uh, the scholars refer to Damascus as the oldest continual city in existence on the planet. And uh, that it's, um, you know, I, I think I think that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, this is one of those things where if Damascus is destroyed, all of a sudden uh, you figure they might even have to cover it on the criminally negligent network. Right. Uh, the WAPO might have to talk about it because they'll end up saying, whoa, this was something that the Bible talked about. And it's kind of hard to ignore. So that's the reason why I think so much of what we've been talking about here leads up to this, because, as Ray said, uh, it's um, I remember exactly how you phrased it, but it's one of those things when it happens, you can't miss it, and when it hasn't happened, you can't miss it either. So it is a clear mile marker along the road to wherever it is that marks where we are in time. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I certainly it. think so. And <clears throat> interestingly, you stopped short of it, I think, by one verse. But in 177, uh, it, it says, In that day, man will look to his maker and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> it, it's yeah. basically it's it's as and it's exactly what you just described, Mark. Everybody's going to go. Oh, howdy! Uh, yeah. What just happened? That's a kind of <laughs> tough you know, one. To, this, yeah. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Even the atheists are going to have to say, "Wow." Says, his eyes shall have respect to the Holy One of Israel. Now that's uh, amazing, w- right there. W- I mean, would you repeat that, please? Syrians. But they're gonna they're gonna have respect to the Holy One of Israel. MP, would you repeat that? I, I lost whether that. Whether it's out of reverence, I don't know. MP, would you repeat what you that quote from the KJB? I missed it. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's in it's in verse six. Um, six. A, yet gleaning grapes shall be left in it as the shaking of uh, an olive tree. Two or three berries at the top. Four or five outmost. Oh, that's the wrong one. The next one. Oh, it was it was oh the next one. Oh yeah, at that day a man shall look to his maker, and his eyes shall have respect to the holy one of Israel. And this is oh called, interesting. Have respect. respect. That is a very different translation. Yeah, this is a this is a KJV. Okay. Yeah yeah yeah. Right so it, it's uh and you know it's in the old English and all of that too, but it's sure. It's it's really interesting that 
this is going to be <clears> happening <throat> before the end of days. Okay. Yes, absolutely. This, this will be a forerunner for the end of days, actually. Yes, so, I, at least the yeah. the way I the way I view things, I believe that's probably that's probably true. That is probably part of that <clears throat> whole great contingency of of nations that uh, bears down on Israel uh, and, and all of that. But I could be wrong. Uh, but uh, well, I could be wrong too, but I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The bet money maybe is on you and not me. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, guys, we got less than two right. minutes left. Interestingly, also, and I'll go ahead, Ray. Let, let me just say one last thing, Mark, and then I'll I'll turn it over to you and, and let you go. In the next verse that follows seventeen eight, it says, "He will not look to the altars, the works of his hands." He will not look to what his own fingers have made, either to the Asherim or the altars of incense. So, in, in other words, uh, again, talking about mankind, I think he is being is referring to mankind. Will not look to to religion, to the work of his hands, to the to the Asherim, to the the you know the the Horish. Horse uh, belief systems that he's uh, participating in, or, or the altars of incense. At that point in time, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those things that uh, there are very few times uh, in a person's life when you've gotten to, uh, and it happens to Jacob, and it's called Hamakom when he goes across the creek and he goes to the place, Hamakom, the place. When you get to the place. And you're there, and it's you, and it's God, and there isn't anything else there. That's the, what they, what friends oftentimes kind of affectionately call the come to Jesus meeting. Oh, yeah. This, this is one of those times and one, one of those places where you are at the place. You can't deny. There's, there's no BS in yourself. Well, and, and uh, that's a great way to end. We got about 45 up, seconds to call. The, the thing that, uh, the thing that is, uh, and, and the scripture just comes out and says it. This is a problem I have with some of these that are so clear here. You read it, and even if you don't understand the place names and you don't understand the references, the, the impression you get is pretty darn clear, and it's pretty realistic. And essentially, this is one of those places where Absolutely. he says, when all this stuff starts to happen, even those who have been lying about it all this time are going to have to say, hey, you know, maybe we have some respect for the Holy One of Israel because maybe he really is who he says he is. Maybe it's going to be tough for us to keep denying it. And and I think that's, uh, for you know, speaking for myself, I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be one of those days when a lot of people are going to start to ask, wow, uh, could we have seen this coming? And the answer is, well, you should have. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, we're at the break. We'll pick it up next week. Thanks, folks. Thanks, guys.